someone asked if there's a theme going through and being woven through the worship service today. Keep your eyes open, your ears open, your minds open. For the prophet Isaiah again and again points to God's preeminence and timelessness. He also points to our insignificance. And then this God, this God in relation to humanity, is compared for our understanding in this poem that we are about to read today. Only when we grasp God's power and our powerlessness does a word of hope emerge, namely that those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Now listen to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 21 to 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows upon them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary. And the young will fall exhausted. But those, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was 16 years old, my family and I took a trip from East Lansing, Michigan, out west, up along the coast and back through the northern tier of the country and then back down through the Upper Peninsula, finally home, back home to East Lansing. Up to that point in my life, things were relatively flat, so to say. They were flat. There were rolling hills occasionally, but it wasn't until we drove out west on I-80, on the steady incline through Iowa and then Nebraska, that I began to see the majesty of God's creation.
I remember the sign saying 175, 50, 25 miles to Denver. And then we crested an incline on I-80. And as we reached the apex of the road, there it was, the mighty Rocky Mountains. I had never seen anything like it before. I can still see the picture as if it still happened five minutes ago. At the end of the week, as we left to go to the Grand Canyon, we drove through the mountains along the drive and from the apex down the road, and we got caught in a construction project coming down the mountains that we had just come up. The peak of the mountain range was mighty. The traffic was intense. Dad pulled off the side of the road. Later, he would tell me that the brakes on the car and the travel trailer, the Airstream, was behind us, were overheating. And we had to stop for them to cool down. But where we pulled off was a famous lookout. There was a rock that jutted out about six feet, out from the mountainside. And if you climbed on it, though the sign said, do not climb, <laughs> that if you climbed on it, well, it was like you were flying in midair, kind of floating like an eagle. My sisters and mom were just absolutely mortified. They were upset. They were angry, and they still are today. Today, I'm telling you, they are, that I would think about going out on the point of that rock. After all, that rock could break off. And I could plummet downward. But Dad had a camera. <laughs> I climbed out there, and there below me and in front of me was this magnificent sight. It was breathtaking. It's breathtaking. It really was a spiritual moment for me. Dare I say, a meaning of life moment? I suddenly recognized how small I was in the omnipotence of God's creation and universe. I felt a little bit closer to God as I looked up and saw nothing but sky. The text this morning was the text that I remembered for some reason. I don't know why. Perhaps it was for this moment, for this text today. I don't know. But as I sat there with my legs dangling over the side of the rock, I saw it. And then I stood up. Do you remember Jack Nicholas when he won a golf tournament? Final putt. He thrust his left arm up in the air with a golf putter, with the putter in his hand. Success and victory. That's what I did. Just a side note, just a side note. You know that rock that was hanging out that my parent mom was all upset, my sisters crying in the background, that it would someday crash, that it was going to crash down? Well, it did. Ooh, it did, yes, with some 16-year-old boy sitting there as I had done 25 years later. At first glance, you and I might want to stand up and cheer for this powerful Lord God like Rocky on the top of the Philadelphia Art Museum steps. Especially if the world moves in our direction. If our world is relatively pleasant and peaceful, 
or filled with riches, then we surely applaud this powerful God. Because of, by implication, God must be with us. Or at least we might come to believe that we are blessed by this God who counts us as his children, as his royalty. Yet just as Jesus came to us, the powerful are not the ones for whom this poem was written. The first hearers of this poem were those in exile in Babylon. The first hearers of Jesus' words were the downtrodden, the hungry, the poor, the sick. There is a painful reality that the people listening were refugees in a foreign land in Babylon. They're powerless. They saw their homes destroyed, their temple destroyed, and laid to waste. They became separated from the very land that God had given them. It was held in promise. They were now the underdogs. We're told that even their youth, who are supposed to be so vibrant and full of energy, were now growing weary and falling exhausted. They feel invisible and disregarded by God, by the God that they worship, and they, the God that delivered them from so many impossible situations. Could it be, could it be that the gods of Babylon were stronger than their God? No. This poem, these words from Isaiah tell us and remind us even the, today that this is our God who sits above and created all things known and unknown to humankind. And yet, and yet this same God is the loving shepherd that gently claims and gathers and protects and carries us, yes, on our shoulders, his shoulders. You see, Isaiah bids us to lift our eyes on high and see that the omnipotent one is also the one who numbers and names each one of us in sovereignty. Not one thing in creation is missing, missing or lost. This is the God who will come to us humbly as a poor carpenter's son into a land where might makes right and humanity has lost its way. In the intimacy that God has with us, a question is asked twice. Have you not known? Have you not heard? There's a tapestry that Isaiah weaves that makes these questions nearly ridiculous. Except that in the absorption of our own suffering, we can forget who God is. Isaiah extracts for us that which we have forgotten or mistaken. You might mistake your current situation as having power over you. You might feel as though there is no hope, that you are truly an underdog. But remember the question. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The captives in Babylon began to give up. They began to assimilate into the culture that surrounded them. They stopped being true to God and became like everyone else. They were exhausted from the fight and through despair they lost hope. We need to be different. 
You and I must yearn for the gospel. We must find refuge in prayer to a loving God. We can't be sitting cozy in our sanctuary. We must hear the gospel preached and see and know that Jesus is present with us this moment. For Jesus has fulfilled his mission and it's up to us to accept it and fly. We must fly above the brutality, the cruelty, and the violence we hear in the news. Whether it's the vile hatred in Washington, D.C., the horrific acts by a trusted doctor with young girls, the deplorable torture of 13 children by parents, school shootings that continue even this day, we must hear the cries of the people. We must see the injustices, and in those sufferings, you and I must feel and hear the clamoring at the doors. The cry the people in Babylon made is the same cry the people make today. Where is God? Where is Jesus the Christ? They have the power to cast these demons away they have the power to heal the brokenness. Where is the good news, the grace, the hope? It's right here. Where there is darkness, Jesus is there with the light. Where there is despair, Jesus is there with the hope. Where there is suffering, Jesus is there with the healing. And where there is evil, God is there to defeat it. Some of my friends on social media, whew, some of my friends on social media have said, Ken, you need to give it up. I cannot. I cannot give it up. Some of my friends have said, oh boy, Ken, you need to be more quiet. Can you imagine? <laughs> I will shout. Some have said, Ken, get over it. I but friends, I'm just getting started. Why? Because my God and Savior overcomes it all. God through Isaiah answers definitively, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And in that, in that there is hope. There is hope. And though you might be expecting, expecting a shortfall, you might be overpowered, you might think all is lost, you can renew your strength. Mount up like eagles. Run without growing weary. Walk without fainting. For this mighty God also cares for the people and will renew their strength so that they shall mount up with wings like eagles. The God that gave us all of creation. The God that gave us our Savior, Jesus the Christ. The God who loves us and wants us to be in a relationship with us and wants us to fly like eagles. Oh, what a heavenly sight. What a heavenly sight. And yet God's understanding is not likely to be revealed to us instantaneously or even on a mountaintop as you sit on a rock facing a valley thousands of feet below. Instead, we come to know God and how God works in the world. In the world, through the years of living with God, through the years of living with God's people. Years of exploring, seeking, 
and reflecting, acting with God. And over time, through Bible study and worship, practices of faith, even singing in the choir, faith, like hospitality, and forgiveness and stewardship and service, that's how we learn how God is. That's how we learn how God acts. We come to a place of knowing God's ways, even if we cannot sufficiently put it into words. That is what our God does. We mount up and fly like eagles. Fly, eagles, fly. Amen. Let us pray.